This episode is sponsored by Realtor.com, who wants you to take advantage of your free profile on Realtor.com. By claiming and completing your free profile, adding a photo, and all of the information that puts you head and shoulders above the competition, you're on your way to receiving free leads, helping search engines find you, and staying top of mind with past clients. To learn more about claiming your free profile, go to realtor.com forward slash profile. Welcome to the Real View podcast, where Ohio realtors connect you to innovators and influencers, keeping you with the real view of real estate. Whether you're a broker, agent, first-time homebuyer, industry leader, or just happen to stumble upon our podcast today, you can expect to hear tips, tools, tricks, interesting information, and so much more from the experts in Ohio's real estate game. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Real View Podcast. I am your host, Allison Wiley. Joining me today is our special guest, Dr. Nicole Price. She is the Forbes Books author of Spark the Heart, Engineering Empathy in Your Organization. She is also the CEO of Lively Paradox, a professional coaching business that is focused on practicing empathy and leadership. Originally trained as an engineer, Dr. Price's technical background enhances her objective approach to solving process problems and helping people focus on solutions. Dr. Price, welcome to the show. Allison, I'm so glad you're having me on. And we're super excited to talk about empathy, what it means, the misconceptions that exist around it, how we can practice it every day, how it'll help us be better leaders, better business owners, better coworkers, better people in general. You are the expert on this. So we're so excited to, to be talking about this and be diving into this skill and learning a little bit more about your experience with, with practicing empathy. But before we get started on that, I want to hear a little bit more about you. Tell us about yourself, your career history. I know, as I mentioned in your bio, uh, you were originally trained as an engineer. Now you do coaching. So we want to hear about all of this. Tell us a little bit more about you and what's led you to where you are today. Often people think that engineering is the opposite of empathy. So one of the primary questions I get is, how did you go from that to this? Yeah. <laughs> and I think that is a fair assertion because in engineering school, what you're mostly, not always, but what you're mostly trying to do is take a singular item and figure out how to make hundreds of thousands or millions of them, which in essence causes you to care more about process than you do about people. And here's what I mean. Um, Allison, if you can't come to work today, I need to be able to plug someone else into your spot and I need them to get up to speed and running quickly uh, so the differences between you and whoever your replacement is, is of no consequence, actually. I need the process to be able to work regardless of who's in the spot. And if you think about uh, that type of thinking, it is almost diametrically opposed to empathy, which is to consider each individual person's uh, points of view. But I was trained classically as an engineer. I worked in the field for almost a decade and it wasn't until I started leading people that I realized, oh my gosh, uh, some of the things that got me from doing as a leader to leading as a leader were not going to be helpful. Most of my people were unhappy almost every day. And I got a coach and that coach worked with me on how to adjust my style 
And I adjusted my style so much, though, that then I wasn't very happy with who I was. But I did believe inherently that people don't have to change who they are in order to be good leaders, that they just need a different set of tools in their their toolkit. And I just naturally like training adults. And so to keep this story short, I transitioned into learning and development, teaching engineering managers and engineering leaders how to be better at their jobs. So there was a, a track that was an HR track that many other people went through. And then I was really just translating those same concepts to technical professionals. Uh, so I would teach trust, but through a lens of why is this practical? Uh, why does this improve your outcomes? Uh, how can this help you in your personal life as well? Versus this is the morally right thing to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it is the morally right thing to do, but that lens doesn't really translate necessarily with uh, technical professionals in the same way. While I was in uh, learning and development, I met a global keynote speaker. She and I worked together for almost five years. And then I started my own business focusing, focusing on the intersection of well, how can you be empathetic and inclusive and hold people accountable? Because people think those are drastically different things. And unlike engineering and empathy, they are not. They're connected. And in 2022, I wrote a book called Spark the Heart, where I am really teaching people how to develop the empathy muscle in other people. And that's what led me here to you. I think you maybe saw one of my articles on how to build empathy in other people. Yes, I did. And, you know, I loved I love the article. There's so much about it uh, that I think really resonated. And I wanted to bring to light and, and hear more on, on your perspective on it, because I do think you have such a unique perspective. And I love, you know, what you said of, you know, this does exist. These these things can exist, you know, together. You can be accountable and you can be empathetic and you can be a leader and you can, you know, still, you know, have this empathetic bone in your body. But we just need to be better at flexing that and, and, and working on developing that. And, you know, you don't like you said, you don't have to change who you are, but you can learn a new skill and learn a new way to help manage people that can make a better working environment for whoever, you know, you're, you're interacting with on a day-to-day basis. So I think that's really cool. And I'm, we're, as I mentioned before, super excited to, to be having you on and be talking to you about this. Let's kind of start at the beginning. What is empathy? Share with us kind of uh, your perspective on what empathy is and then what misconceptions exist around this. I know we talked a little bit about some of the misconceptions that exist and how it fits into certain industries and places. But tell us what empathy is in your perspective and what misconceptions you've seen really come out when it comes to empathy and how we're thinking about it. What I have to resist the urge to uh, doing is uh, being an academic about it because there are almost half a dozen different types of empathy that show up in various different ways. And so the more I've studied, my work is to make sure that I'm still talking in a way that resonates with people. Most people are aware of two basic types of empathy. One is feeling what another person feels. I see you happy. I feel happiness. Um, That's called effective empathy. The other type, which is the one we can teach people, is mental empathy. I see you happy. You explain to me why you're happy. And I do the work necessary to try to understand what you're thinking, feeling, and believing. I might not feel happy with you, but I understand what you're explaining to me. I might know what it's like to have been happy in the past, but your happiness doesn't necessarily evoke emotion in me necessarily in those moments. 
And I, because we conflate and mix those two up, oftentimes people think that you can't learn empathy, but you absolutely can access um, your empathy muscle. Yeah. And I know you go into the article, the difference between caring and understanding, in that there is a difference between those two. Will you kind of uh, walk us through that and how caring and understanding uh, do have a little bit of a difference? And you kind of hit on it a little bit, but maybe just explain a little bit more about the difference between those two. Yeah, I care about far more things than I can do anything about. (laughs) I care about global warming. I care about poverty. I care about uh, reducing the amounts of greed. I, I, I care about littering. I care about leadership. I mean, my list is really long. And I find myself getting overwhelmed when I take in all of the things that I care about. And that's because I'm flexing my effective empathy, my emotions. My emotions are getting, I'm feeling what what it must feel like to not have enough to eat. I'm feeling what it must feel like to be at the other end of a leader who's not so great. I'm worried about what my son's life is going to be like in a world that is falling apart. And that's not sustainable. While it might be a beautiful place to sit sometimes, it is not sustainable for me to take in even positive emotions over and over for every single person I interact with every day. In fact, I maintain that it's the source of burnout. But my capacity to understand people is almost limitless. My ability to listen to you and try to understand that whatever you think, feel, and believe it makes total sense to you actually makes me smarter. It helps me be able to make the next right decision. And when I'm flexing my emotional muscle, not that it's bad, it's just that if what's coming in is um, is negative, my goal will shift from supporting you, Allison, and whatever you're experiencing to relieving my own harm and suffering. But when my goal is to understand you so that I can help you, I can listen and work my brain to try to understand what you're explaining to me almost to a limitless capacity. And in that, I never have to really relieve myself of suffering because I'm not suffering. So of course, I don't want to flex my intellectual muscle. but If you're listening to this podcast, you probably like flexing your intellectual muscle and growing intellectual horsepower. And so I feel like I am a caring person who nurtures uh, the people who are close to me. Uh, But not everyone would describe me in that way. I am an engineer. (laughs) Like, and use all your biases. I am an engineer. So you don't, you might not see me on the bus stop and go, oh yeah, that looks like a real caring person. I did. I'm, that might not be. For some people, maybe, but for others, maybe not. But when you're talking with me, my ability, especially if I'm really confused or frustrated or disagree, to sit and go, while this makes no sense to me, it makes total sense to the person who's sharing. And let me listen through the lens of how I can be most helpful in this moment That's what I believe the world needs more of. And I think it can get us quite much closer to making better decisions, especially as leaders. Yeah, no, I I love the distinction, you know, you made between that and how, you know, sometimes I think we do let our emotions take over in some ways and we do lead so much in that reactive state and and you want to feel in their feelings and so much when it's sometimes we can just channel that into understanding. We don't need to necessarily, you know, lead with our our emotions, but by leading with understanding, it sounds like it just, it 
connects more to whoever you're working with, but then it also does more work for yourself. It makes your load a little bit lighter too, you know, because you're not having that emotional. And like you mentioned, sometimes it does get so overwhelming, you know, when you feel so many things and you know, you you are caring about so much, but coming from it from an understanding perspective, really just can can kind of open yourself up to a higher capacity of dealing with people, and in a way that makes you know it better and maybe less stressful on yourself too. Is is that the correct thing to say? I absolutely think that's the correct thing to say. I just imagine situations. It's the holiday season, and uh, some people are grieving. And if I have to talk to grieving people all day long, I'm not going to be helpful to them if I'm grieving alongside them. There are reasons to do that. But as a leader, I'm not going to be very helpful. I'm going to be quite ineffective, actually. Yeah, that's that's kind of a situation where, you know, your own emotions can be harmful to the situation and not necessarily helpful. And as leaders, you know, we always want to want to be thinking about that and, and how we're helping or hurting those people that we work with. This episode of The Real View is brought to you by the Ohio Association of Community Colleges. Ohio's network of community colleges provides accessible training that accommodates the busy lifestyles of aspiring real estate professionals at half the price of a traditional university. With convenient locations in every part of the state, as well as online options, Ohio's community colleges are your smart choice for pre-licensing education. For more details or to start the journey to a real estate career, Visit the education page at ohiorealtors.org and then click on the pre-licensed course locations. So you had to kind of learn learn this skill. Tell us the, the secret sauce or the secret keys of, of how you were able to learn that and what advice would you give to individuals who want to learn more about how to make this a skill set in their everyday lives? The first step is knowing that you can learn empathy. Most people think either you have it or you don't have it. That's one barrier to to growing your empathy muscle. The second barrier to growing your empathy muscle is that people think empathy makes you soft. I would argue that one of the more courageous things I get to do every day is to step outside of myself and try desperately to understand what another person thinks, feels, or believes, and try to put myself in their shoes, again, to help me make good decisions. It is actually easier for me to hunker down in my own perspective. And I wish I had learned this the easy way. There are two ways to learn empathy. One is by going through the exercises that I offer up in the book that you can do by yourself or with your team. But the other way most people learn empathy is through a crushing life experience. Um, before, and I, and I tell this story, um, in the book before my mother was killed by a drunken driver, I'm not sure that I had uh, very much effective or emotional empathy at all. Now I actually am one of those people who can feel other people. I wouldn't classify myself as an empath. I would just say that if someone's sad, I can tell even if they're smiling, even if they're saying all the things, even if they're taking selfies and posting them on social with, you know, I can see it in the pictures. And that didn't used to be me. But I think that's the hard way. And I don't think we have to wait for a crushing experience to turn into a more beautiful or a more effective leader. We can do the practices which one of them is real simple. And if, are you okay with me to share? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. 
uh, so the first exercise that I was introduced to was shifting my listening. So I used to listen for accuracy, also taught in engineering. You know, so I'm listening to what a person says and I'm listening for the holes in the argument. <laughs> Is it accurate what you're saying? Or, you know, did you say we, we did something on Wednesday when we actually did it on Friday? And I would get caught up in those, any kind of incongruence and in what was what I believe to be true. And it was almost a debating exercise for me, asking people to clarify. That is not an empathetic way to listen. It also does not build your empathy muscle. It might help you understand someone, but not through an empathetic lens. I am inviting people to shift their listening from listening for accuracy to listening for understanding. So I'll use a personal example. If I say, Allison, we haven't spent any time together. And you tell me, well, we were just together last Tuesday. That's accuracy. You're right. We were just together last Tuesday. But when a person says, we haven't spent any time together, what they're saying is, I want to spend more time with you. And that takes effort because you're doing the thing that I've been classically trained not to do, which is to fill in the gray area with meaning. We do it anyway. It's just that when we're listening for accuracy, we feel in the gray area with either you're not very smart, you are wrong, uh, you're, you don't have facts and I have to educate you on the facts. And so this is about filling in the gray area, trying to paint a picture of what you think the spirit of what the person is trying to say to you means. And I'm not the best at it, but I'm getting better and if more people were to practice this in their leadership capacity, we could have the real conversations we need to have instead of talking about things that are minutiae. Absolutely. And I think that does the same go too for listening to react? I know I find that's something that I find myself doing all the time is like, oh, I heard them say this. I need to make sure that I'm saying this to them next. Does that make an impact in this too? And is that kind of the same thing too, listening for accuracy and, and listening to react and how, you know, both of those listening styles I've seen, you know, in my life. But if we look at listening from a different lens, then that will help work our empathy. Is that something that you found too? Is that listening to to react can kind of do the same thing and in, in making us come off in empathetic? Yeah, because when we're listening to respond, we're not listening at all. I am waiting for you to finish so that I can craft my message and get my message out. I'm I'm listening to what you're saying through the lens of what I want to say, what my experiences have been. Um, not necessarily through what you're trying to say and what your experiences have been. And it's just two different types of listening. I like to tell people that there are absolutely situations in which you should listen to react. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're, you're not always going to be in this supportive, empathetic listening position. However, as a leader, most of the time you are. And I think it's especially important when the conversation is intellectually challenging or emotionally charged. So when someone is upset or the topic is not so simple, we have to take that first step to go, let me settle into my own body. So I'm going to talk about feelings again here. Too often leaders don't even connect and recognize and understand and label their own emotions. And so it's harder to regulate. So if I'm angry, lonely, tired, hurt, I probably need to know that, express that, figure out how to take care of myself. It's empathy for the self so I can show up better for you. 
But let's say I'm centered and I'm I'm good and I'm listening to you and I'm thinking about my response. The person you're talking with is going to feel like you're just responding or that you're just being defensive or that you're just patronizing. But if you can listen, and in one way, I do like the active listening technique where I'm listening to you, but then I'm going to check for understanding. Okay, Allison, here's what I think I heard you say. Am I accurate? Or is that what you mean? And that gives a person an opportunity to clarify. And I know for people who are moving fast that that feels ridiculous sometimes. Are you kidding? You want me to repeat back to people what they said to me? Well, how do you know you've got it? And I just regurgitate back the same words. I mean, if you're listening for understanding, push it back in the way that you, what you think they mean. I hear you saying you want to spend more time together. And then you get an opportunity to say yes or no. And then we can talk about what that means. And so for your listeners, I don't know what are the things that are getting in the way at work, but we know we need trust. We know we have to have some level of healthy conflict in order to be able to get people to commit to our work to, to get to good results. But we want to skip past trust because we don't think we should build our empathy muscle. We want to skip past healthy conflict because when people disagree with us, we want to debate instead of trying to hear their point of view so that we can have a healthy conversation about it. And I think that's that's where this difference between listening to respond versus listening uh, for understanding comes into play. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Have you seen consequences or what does it look like if we're in a leadership position and we aren't being empathetic? If we aren't practicing this, if we aren't, you know, making our employees and our coworkers and even in our personal lives, those around us uh, feel like they're understood. What's, What's kind of the consequences of that? And what could that look like if we're not making this a practice for us? Typically what I see is artificial harmony. People show up and they just give you uh, yeses, even though they're completely not bought in to the direction that the organization is going or to your mission. Uh, That's one. The other thing that I will see is infighting and back channeling, meaning that people will have conversations in the meetings after the meeting instead of, you know, in the room where it's most helpful. And people won't be, they just won't be in. So you'll get zero discretionary effort. If you notice that your ability to retain talent is low, that that there's a revolving door of talent, empathy is likely missing. People feel like that there's no space for them to be able to show up every day and do a good job in the culture that's been created there. Now, it's not 100% true, of course, uh, but those are the, the symptoms that I look for. Yeah, definitely. And then on the flip side of that, and I know you talked about this a lot in your article, and how can it make a difference when we're in leadership positions? What have you seen, you know, from maybe some of the people that you've trained and coached or in your own experience from when we are using that muscle and we are making that switch? What kind of impact does that have on those around us? And especially if we're in leadership positions, how can using that make us a better leader and a better person? I I must say, because this is just being keeping it honest, that I did not buy into this idea right away. Not that I thought we didn't need empathy, but, but I really did believe that people were not being accountable. They were taking jobs and then not doing what they said they were going to do in their interview. And why do I have to hold you accountable to what you said? That's kind of where I was. I was 
almost always thinking about the worst of the human condition instead of, I would venture to say most people want to get up every day and do a good job. I don't know people who are waking up saying, let me see how I can mess up things today, how I can be a performance problem, how I can make errors, how I can disappoint people. Most people are not waking up in that way. So why then aren't they doing what they know? What is the breakdown? And I've seen people go from one team to another team and drastically perform better. So is it the person or is it the team? Is it the leader? While I don't like to put everything on the leader, leaders are responsible for the work climate inside our organizations. That's who owns the climate. If you have people who are gossiping, I guarantee you I can find a leader who people can come and talk to them about another team member. And instead of getting redirected, there's an entire conversation that ensues. Whatever we see in the work climate, the leader is creating. So once I had my my like life event and I was moving through the world, I had to go back to work, of course, because you get your three days bereavement leave or whatever you get. I ended up taking five weeks off, but I was still in the middle of a murder trial because like I said, my mom was uh, killed by a drunken driver. And people would ask me how my mother was doing or, you know, how I was doing with my mother's death. But then the very next statement would be, OK, let's talk about these projects. And it was it was interesting because I would have been that person before. You know, my HR thing to do was to ask about your grief. But then I'm being asked about cost quality service. Back to business. Back to business. And I think um, this is my second tip. I think leaders need to do a better job of using their one-on-ones for actual coaching sessions instead of uh, project uh, status meetings. Project status meetings, I think, should be more group related where we have scorecards and uh, things are in green, yellow, or red, and it's obvious who's tracking on time, who's who's running slow, who's not doing it. But when we need to have our one-on-ones, I think that's an opportunity for us to talk about what's working, where are we getting stuck, and what what do we need to do differently and actually be coached through on those issues. That gives me an opportunity to say if I want to talk about my grief related to my mother or not. That time alone with me probably is not best suited for a project status meeting. Now, here's the problem with that. Now every leader has um, two, like a meeting with everybody on their staff once a week, and now they have a, a check-in meeting. But my question almost always is, if your job is not to lead and develop the people, what is your job? Like that, that is your job. And while we get upset about other people not quite doing what they're supposed to do, every leader has a role, which is to coach and develop the people on their team. And that requires a one-on-one discussions. Um, and so what I have seen as a, as, as a result of me being able to open our day on our teams with um, what I call a social emotional check-in, hey, what's going on with you today? What do you want to share? What's your one word? However we want to do it. I feel very little responsibility to fix people or fix their life situation. Like Allison, if you were my leader at the time when my mom was killed, you can't fix that for me, but I can come to work and I can tell you, hey, I had court last Friday. I'm still kind of reeling about that. Now you at least know uh, where I am. You can ask me, what do I need to be supported? 
what people think, what leaders tend to think is that if they ask that question, now they have to do something. What's more true is allowing me space to reflect, understand, label, and express where I am with my leader actually prepares me to be able to regulate my grief in those moments. It helps me. Whereas otherwise I feel like I have to hide my grief and repressed emotions always come out and they come out in ugly ways, (laughs) never at the right time. And it's never convenient for your business. Trust me on that. And so I had to practice doing a social check-in every day for probably, I'm embarrassed to say, probably a year before I realized, oh, this actually helps people show up better for work instead of being a waste of time, which is what I thought it was when HR told me to do it. And I think you're not alone in that, too. When I think about just the workplace as a whole, you know, I don't think that that this is existing in the way that it needs to. Is that kind of how you you feel, too? And, And how can we make this more of a culture of a revolution of something that is existing in spaces where maybe it doesn't now, because I don't think you're alone in that. I don't think it exists in the way that it should. And I think that's why so many people feel burnout, are unhappy in their work situations, and just aren't getting the understanding and that, that they deserve as employees. Is that kind of how you feel too? It is certainly how I feel. And it's also what's been proven of that when we describe the kind of leaders we want, and we put like 10, let's say you wrote down 10 characteristics of your favorite leader ever. It is highly likely that nine out of 10 of those characteristics are going to be empathetic leaning. It's <laughs> <laughs> so true. So true. But it's such an important skill as you as we've just talked about for the past, you know, 30 minutes. It's so important and, and it's not valued or seen or thought about. Yes. And so what I ask people to do is to tell me what does it mean if the type of leader they want is empathetic and compassionate, but the type of leader they are is not empathetic and compassionate. And through that reflection, most people go, oh gosh, I'm being hypocritical. Yes. And people don't trust hypocrisy. And so if I want to show up with it at integrity and ethics, which when I ask people, what do they value? It's hard to get people to not put integrity and ethics on the sheet. You have to align what you say you value with how you show up in the world. And What I have tried to do in Spark the Heart is to give very simple things that people can do by themselves or with others that are over time proven to build your empathy. If you're not a reader, you can just skip to the back of the book. There's 14 exercises in the back of the book. You can choose to just do one. Do it for 30 days. See what you notice in terms of how you're showing up with your your folks versus how you were before. Because I believe every one of us has the ability to spark an empathy revolution throughout this country, but we have to be willing to have the courage to go first. I love that. And I'm I'm looking forward to, to getting your book, to seeing what I can do to improve my skills, seeing what you all can do, because I think there is a huge opportunity here. And what a great skill to be focusing on. I mean, there's so much we can try to do for self-improvement, but I think this has so many benefits and can make us not only stronger leaders, but also stronger people and someone that, you know, 
is going to make a better impression on our society and an impact on on the world as a whole. And I think that's so needed right now. And there's such a need for that out there. So definitely check out her book, Spark the Heart, Engineering Empathy in Your Organization. And let's flex our empathy muscles. <laughs> I'm excited to see, uh, see us all help make this world a little more of an empathetic place. So Dr. Price, thank you again so much for joining me today. This was so fantastic. And thanks for all the work you do, you do around making us better leaders and more empathetic people. It is my pleasure. And Allison, if any of your listeners want to connect, they can reach me at drnicoleprice.com. Awesome. Thank you so much again, Dr. Price. And to all of our listeners, thank you guys for tuning in. We'll be back with you next week. Thank you for listening to The Real View. That wraps up today's episode. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at ohiorealtors.org slash The Real View and on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Have questions, comments, or suggestions? We want to hear from you. Email us at podcast at ohiorealtors.org. We'll see you next time.